0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, turning to the message this morning, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, building furniture. Uh, those dreaded words when you go and pick something up and it says some assembly required and you get about halfway through this tangled mess. Have you ever had that? Where bolts are not going where they're supposed to be going and it's just one tangled mess and you think, you know what, look, if if ever I I get through this then maybe I'll be eventually able to use this piece of furniture in six years time when I've finally got this built. And what do you do when you get tangled like that? If you're anything like me, uh, you go to the front cover picture of what it's supposed to look like in the magazine or the brochure Uh, there's something special about the front picture because not only look at it it inspires us in terms of what our mangled mess is supposed to look like um, but at the same time it instructs us it shows us uh, how you can get out of that tangled mess that bigger picture shows that sometimes once you've just been focusing on all the parts that there's a way to uh, get out of this thing now What we're going to talk about this morning when we talk about Chair 4 in this sermon series that we've been doing for Calls That Changed the World. We're going to look at the front cover. We're going to look at the picture of of what the Christian life is supposed to be. Now this is significant because for some of you, uh, for us at Northside, particularly in this current season, there are a lot of people who are still trying to, they're new Christians, they're baby Christians they're still trying to work out what Christianity is about. For them, they're, they're, they just see a whole bunch of different parts thinking, how am I ever going to put this thing together? So for you, it's, it's important for you to understand what that end goal looks like. Uh, for the rest of us Christians, maybe some of the reason that we get tangled in our spiritual life is because uh, we haven't looked at the big picture We've forgotten the big picture, we've been so focused on the parts that we haven't seen what it is. And so this morning it can both inspire us but also instruct us. And what is that big picture? Well, Stephen Covey said once, didn't he, uh, begin with the end in mind. Was that one of his principles of the seven habits of highly effective people? Yes. I think if there's a church that knew that it would be Northside. Look, if you're a Christian and you're beginning with the end in mind, chair four is, the, is beginning with the end in mind. What should the Christian life look like? Now, I think for the average person, if you say to them, what should the Christian life look like? They would think, well, I, I, should, I should go to church. I, I should pray. I should have done a few good things. I should have helped a few people. That's what the Christian life should look like. Um, But Jesus in this passage in John 15, when he starts talking about vines and fruits, on the other hand, he says, no, the end of all of this is that you would bear much fruit. In other words, he's saying, if you're beginning with the end in mind, if you got to the end of your Christian life, did you bear much fruit? Now that sounds a little bit confusing. What does it mean bearing fruit? It means, he's saying, if the sum total of your Christian life has come together, uh, has that one little seed of my life that was sown into your life when you first became a Christian back here, uh, if that one little seed was sown and gone in, did it, did it grow up? Did it mature? Did it bear fruit? And not only that, did fruit then burst out from you and were other seeds planted in you so that your life was replicated in the life of all the other people that were around you in the journey? In other words, Christianity is not a religion of addition, it's a religion of multiplication. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to take Christianity up. You know, I'm into, I'm into yoga, I've got Pilates, and I might do some Christianity. Now that's that's an addition. That's not what Jesus says in terms of bearing fruit. He's saying the seed that was sown in you should go forth and multiply. Now we said the reason we need to grasp this is if you're a new Christian, if you're back here, if you're checking Christianity out in chair one or you're a new Christian in chair two, you need to get that intentionality right. It also means for us, the existing Christians, that maybe the reason we don't bear fruit is we don't begin with the end in mind. We don't see that the objective at the end of our life is to bear fruit. Now, where do we get all of that? Why is this so significant? When I was flying to... Uh, Jerusalem at the at uh, the beginning of this year for my trip to Israel that some of you are already groaning rolling your eyes here we go again Israel um, I was I was in the plane and you know the Funny little map on the back of the seat that you've got to stare at for 36 hours on the flight. Uh, something hit me. There was a thought in all of that. And I began to work backwards as I was going on this trip to learn about discipleship in the land where Jesus birthed this movement that changed the world. And, and I thought, well, I became a Christian in the pews of a church down in Seaforth. And that must have meant that the gospel and the message of Jesus had to go Oh, to the preacher and then from the preacher it had to have come somewhere in New South Wales and then Australia and then I've flown eight hours over the top of Australia and, and from there it, it, I'm flying over the top of Europe and the gospel had to come from Europe down across there and there's England and it would have gone from England back if I trace it back to Germany and then from Germany across into modern-day Turkey and then Rome and if it's back and then into Israel and then from Israel down in Jerusalem and in Galilee and Are you getting that point? Have, have you ever stopped as a Christian... And thought, how in the world did I ever get to be here? Somehow, this message of Jesus, this bearing fruit, these seeds, had to go from Jerusalem and Judea and to Rome and all the way back until at some point there was a preacher somewhere or a friend that you know that shared the gospel with you and you became a Christian. And I, I don't think we often think about that. Um, Look, Jesus, this lands us right to the passage that we have here in John 15. What's going on here? Jesus has just left the upper room in Jerusalem. They've just had the Last Supper. John 13 and 14 is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He says, I'm now one of you guys. You're now friends with me. Uh, He then comes out of the upper room and he starts walking down through the streets of Jerusalem. And he goes out the gates of Jerusalem. He walks down into the valley outside of Jerusalem, down into what they believe is a vineyard. A vineyard that is is just all of about 30 or 40 metres from the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. And so in classic Jesus' style, as he's walking towards Gethsemane, this is three and a half years after he started with the boys and asked, come and see. This is after all the time they have spent together. Jesus, in his classic style, can't help himself and he's got to teach them one more lesson. And he and he, he runs his fingers over the vine and he says, "Boys, uh, I am the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you're not going to be able to do anything." Now, what is this moment? Um, it's a, it's it's a sad moment, but it's an exhilarating moment. It's it's like one of those moments where where um, your kids have packed up all their gear and they've. They've got their country road duffel bag over their shoulder and the car's packed with all the bags and the pea plate on the back of it and they've scored themselves a unit somewhere funky in Surrey Hills and and they're, Bye mum, bye dad, I'm off. (laughs) Um, See you later. Uh, Anyone here been in that sort of moment? We've got a few that might have seen something similar to that. I can see them here. Who are they? Uh, They seem to be ones who have slightly different coloured hair than I do this morning here. The esteemed ones... Um, Who are the people who have been through those sorts of moments? They're the parents. They're the grandparents. And so this whole story of this, both the exhilaration and the sadness of what we're seeing Jesus saying here is that Jesus is sending the kids off. And what is every good parent, what is every parent asking in the depth of their heart in that one moment when they see the kids packed in the car and the pee plate is taken off and all the pillows are in the back window of the car? What is... What's the one question that a parent is asking in the depths of their heart? They're, they're thinking, will, will, they, will they hold on to everything that I taught them? Everything that I've invested into this precious life since I've held them since they're young, will, will, will they accept it? Will they reject it? Will they neglect it? Will they be okay? And here is Jesus with his... With his spiritual babies come and see and then he went and took them out like little ducklings and he taught them and for for the three years he invested into them and and like every good parent he's finding at that moment where he says boys I'm about to go to Gethsemane I'm not going to be with you any longer it's time to bear fruit and so it's this it's this crux to go if this does not work here then (laughs) Sam's not going on his trip to Israel (sighs) do you get that? If it, if it had not have worked here when he let it go, then, then the, all these people 2,000 years down the track would not be sitting at this little corner church on the corner of Oxy Street and Pole Lane hearing about the story to go and bear fruit. And it's still bearing fruit. It's, it's the call in the fourth chair to go and bear fruit. So what is a chair for person? What is a chair for person? Jesus was modelling what a chair for a person is. A chair for a person is a spiritual grandparent. Remember we, we said chair chair is a baby, chair three is a spiritual teenager, chair four is a, someone who's a spiritual grandparent. What are grandparents like? Spiritual grandparents, natural grandparents. Um, a spiritual grandparent is like this. I think grandparents are like this. Grandparents, here's the first thing. Grandparents have an unconscious competence when it comes to life. Have you ever noticed that? Grandparents, they're never phased. They just know how to do life. They're not up and down. They just do life. I had a really good, uh, spirit, uh, great coffee with a spiritual grandparent of, of mine uh, of this week and, uh, and they, just, they just know how to do life. It's like driving a car. I mean, how many times did you think about putting the blinker on when you came to church this morning? How many times? You don't know because you just did it unconsciously. It just happened. A spiritual grandparent, by the time you're in chair four, the spiritual life, the life of Jesus just naturally flows from who you are. You don't think about it. Whereas uh, you, you, the difference, uh, a spiritual baby thinks, oh, I've, I've got to read my Bible, I've got to pray, I've got to rejoice, I've got to, I've got to get close to God, I've got to get intimate with God. No, a spiritual grandparent, they, they just, it's like breathing to them. They just inhale God, exhale themselves. Inhale God, exhale themselves. There's an unconscious competence. Here's the second thing I see in grandparents. Um, grandparents think less in terms of success and more in terms of seasons. Have you ever noticed that? that a, a grandparent, uh, they're not caught up in the ups and downs or the successes of what's happened in their life. This Northside grandparent that I was having coffee with this week, he, he said to me, you know, when I was 35, your age, Sam, you know, for me, every, everything was about the outcome and it was never about others. Now that I'm, and I'll pay him credit, 55, <laughs> um, now that I'm older, it's, it's always about others and not the outcome. You see, spiritual grandparents are more concerned with the seasons of life. I, I remember being a 12-year-old, and I was terribly upset. I was uh, down at my grandma's place, and I was terribly upset that I didn't get the mark that I wanted on an art project that she helped me with, and in a way that only a grandparent could say. And she said, honey, you know, I, peel, I peeled potatoes for three years nonstop when I was in the war. I, I think you're going to be okay. Um, spiritual grandparents think in seasons. And seasons are so significant when it comes to the Christian life. You see, that's the difference too. A baby Christian, a chair two Christian's always, you know, week one they're having a cling from the ceiling experience of God and then the next week they're not worthy and God's left them and it's all out of there. A spiritual grandparent, on the other hand, spiritual grandparent knows that even in winter there still can and will be growth. A spiritual baby's always obsessed with their own fruit. Whereas a spiritual grandparent, like every good farmer, knows that there's no point sitting around watching the fruit for nine months of the year. Get the season right and the fruit will follow. That's the difference. They think in terms of seasons, not success. Here's the other thing I think grandparents do. Spiritual grandparents know family life is about this, focusing on what you sow into your kids and then letting go right, grandparents? It's about just sowing what you can into your kids and then letting go. And I believe that's what is happening here in John 15 when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, when I first read that passage, I thought Jesus was being a helicopter mum. Uh, It's this new phrase, we call them helicopter mums. Whenever the kitties fall over, they're in with a hanky and they're wiping their face and they're picking them back up again and I thought he's saying apart from me you're not going to do anything that he's always going to be hanging around in this movement and he's always going to be telling them and teaching them what to do but no it's not that at all what he's saying is this he's saying such is the level of ministry that you are about to embark on as a chair for a person that all you are only ever going to be able to do is to invest my life into the life of other people. And if this whole movement thing and Christianity thing, which will eventually be called thing, takes off, if the only way that that is going to happen is up to me. See the difference? And people in chair two, when they're doing ministry, everything's a direct input. Everything's, I read my Bible here and I feel like I'm growing there. Jesus is saying a chair person is at such a level of ministry, all they can do is invest and watch God grow it. So the, all they know is that you can just sow into your kids and let them go. Here's uh, the last one before we move on to how we become a, a spiritual grandparent. The spiritual grandparents have one end goal, and that is this. Did I multiply the best part of my life in the end? Have you ever noticed how grandparents have, always have the best chair at Christmas? Um, uh, you know, my nan would always have the she would just have the big the soft chair and we, and we kids were always at the kids table and, and, and nan would always grandparents just seem to sit there at Christmas they don't run around like the kids they just sit there notice that and they sit in the back of the room maybe you do this as a grandparent and, and what do they do they just sit there and they stop and re- reflect and they look and they watch and they look at sons and they look at daughters and, and they look at the little kiddies and and watch as they come and run up, and then, then, and, and what they, what they hopefully I, I sense that they get a sense is that all, all of this is happening here, be, I guess, because of me. And so, what Jesus was, is getting at with these boys to be a, a chair for spiritual grandparent is that it's the hope that at the end of your Christian life there would be a moment where you could sit down in the comfy chair and that you could see a whole range of sons and of spiritual sons and of daughters and of grandkids and maybe even great-grandkids of those that you've invested the life into Jesus and they've invested Jesus's life into someone else and they're investing Jesus's life into someone else. And there could be a moment, whether it's three or five or 30 or 3,000, that you can sit back and say, there's a whole spiritual family that wouldn't be here unless it were for me. Grandparents multiply the best part of their life. So back to the front cover. Is that how you see the end of your Christian life? Jesus says, go and bear fruit. So how do we go and do that as we finish up this morning? Uh, how do we bear fruit? Look, before we get into the details, I, I've only seen this by observation. I'm not a chair for person yet. I've got a few more gray hairs and a little bit more life to do before I become a chair for person disciple of Jesus but I've seen them I've been with them it happened like this on the trip and seeing as I'm talking about Israel you're just going to have to get more Israel this morning but on that same trip uh, I, I was talking to a guy Checho on the bus and I said Checho how did how did you become a Christian what's your story and he said oh well I'm doing a ministry in Uruguay and I was led to the Lord by Lissandro there's Lissandro down the front of the bus and then a couple of days later, I got to sit next to Lissandra. I said, Lissandra, what's your story? How do you become a Christian? And what do you do? And Lissandra said, well, I'm, I, I look after all of the region of Costa Rica now, and there's somewhere like 300 different disciples that are in the region that I'm caring for. And, and I was led to Christ when I was a teenager by Mark. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, there's Mark. And so Mark's this sporty American dude these guys are Latin American. he's American. I said, "Mark, you know what's your deal? What's your story?" And he's like, "Well, I look after all of Latin America in this network that we've got. There has to be something like five to 10,000 different people that are being discipled with our ministry of material. And, uh, and I look after that. And he said, "I became a Christian at 15 when this guy called Dan Spader led me to Christ. And then a couple of days later, I got to sit next to Dan, who you met last week on video, because I wasn't here as sick. And as a side note, it's a wonderful thing to see the way that our church keeps going, even when the guy out front can't be here. And there was Dan. And suddenly it hit me, this trip that I was on, these, these 200 disciples from 56 different countries, they were not there because someone put out a little Trafalgar travel brochure to say, come to Israel. Every single person on that trip from the 56 different countries, from Balawi to Nigeria to Australia to Latvia in Europe, every person on that that trip of the 200 were spiritual grandkids of Dan Spader. And you saw him on the video, was he that? I think he's the most inspiring preacher. He's one of those classic American that wears funny hats. He's unassuming. (laughs) He's, He's humble, but he's a chair for... Discipler. And it was in that youth group with Mark that he Mark was his youth kid and said, what if we just embarked on this strategy of Jesus for the next 20 years, Mark? What if we just spent all of our energies investing the life of Jesus into other people who invested into other people who into other people? Guess what? The young preacher today, investing that into other people because of Dan Spader's ministry. That's what a cheerful person is. How do you become like that as we finish up this morning? Here's the first thing, from what I see with him and anyone that's like that, by residing in Jesus, remaining in Jesus for a very, 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 very long time. (laughs) A long time at least by by standards, 20 years. (laughs) By remaining in Jesus for a long time, you see, the only way uh, that you are going to make it to chair four is via chair three. And as you learned last week, chair three is hard. It's sacrifice. It means service and servanthood. It's difficult. And sadly, so many people move up into chair three and they don't stay there. And that's why they don't end up at chair four and they move back to chair two. Just back to the simple Christian life. That's cool. But they, they don't remain in Jesus for a very, very long time. Endure the hardship and the suffering that it takes to be a chair three person to a chair four person. And here's why. Here's how else you become a chair for person by. This is going to sound really weird. This is not the message that you normally get at modern contemporary churches. How do you become a chair for person by enduring attack? Mm. <laughs> by enduring attack. What is what does Jesus say straight after this lovely, beautiful passage about being vine and branches? He says in verse eighteen, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world it'd love you as your own, but you don't belong to the world. A servant's not greater than their master, so if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you also. A cheerful person has to learn how to endure attack. For a whole range of different reasons. And there's actually two types of attack here. There's good attack and there's bad attack. Um, The bad attack first is that sort of attack that we see in verse 20. Being a cheerful leading disciple maker means that you're going to have attack from all sorts of directions. And here's why. Satan would like nothing more than us to get caught up in safe everyday church activities. You know what? There are some activities of church that are wonderful and beautiful, that are a great part of building community, but they're no different than being part of a tennis club, (laughs) baking cakes, hanging out at each other's house. It's It's all part of church. But if that is all it remains at, then that's exactly where Satan wants us. Because on the other hand, if you want to start talking about asking people in your life to come and see what Christianity is about, and if they start giving their life to Jesus, and if they start maturing from baby Christians and growing up, and if they then start maybe even investing that into the life of someone else, oh, hang on, now there's going to be a target. Now we're taking ground for the kingdom of God. We're in the middle of a spiritual battle. And the devil gets angry when that stuff happens. You need to endure the bad attack. Um, but there's also a much more nuanced, paradoxical attack that you need to endure and understand if you're going to be a, a chair four person. We finish on this. Um, it's it's in it's right here in in verse one of John 15. I'm the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more pru- fruitful. <sighs> Look at the vine dresser, look at a gardener. What, what's their job? Their job is to bring out the best in the vine. And so what do they do? They attack it. <laughs> they hack it. <laughs> they cut it to pieces. I mean, to, to the ignorant, untrained eye, if you ever went into a vineyard after it was pruned, what, what would it look like? It looked like a disaster, a tragedy. There's, there's grapes all on the ground and there's bleeding stems and there's cuts in a thousand places. You'd think this is a disaster and this is a tragedy. What's going on <laughs> Look for the vine dresser. Every stroke is there to protect the vine and to develop it. In other words, and I've said this before, um, nothing that the vine dresser cuts off your life—sorry, anything that the vine dresser cuts off your life—was was was either a gain to lose or a loss to keep. I say that again. Anything that he cuts off from your life is a gain to lose and a loss to keep. And that's the only way that you can become a chair for person. And now look, some of you are looking at your life right now and you're saying, I feel like that. There's grapes on the ground, missed opportunities. People have hurt me deeply this week. They've cut me. I'm bleeding all over the place. How, what, you're telling me this is how God works? How the heck can this happen? What's, what's all of this about? Look, we know this is the deal. I've got a lemon tree out there, outside of my kitchen window that looked like it was just about dead. I, I hacked it to pieces and guess what? It's coming to life. We know it to be the case, and it was such a brilliant analogy of Jesus, that when he prunes you and cuts the things off you that are really spiritually dead to him, it will bring a new and a deeper and a stronger life from within you. We know that to be the case. And here's what it means practically. The biggest barrier for any person moving from chair three to four is stuff. Distracting stuff, emotional stuff, psychological stuff, material stuff. The only way he will ever take his people into chair four if he cuts some of it away from you. That's how it all works. You've got to endure attack. Some of you are thinking, how wonderfully inspiring this morning. (laughs) Oh, what a wonderful message. Don't you just love it when Jesus preaches to us like that? But look, look at him. Look at his model. You don't, you, don't think, you don't think the disciples thought he was getting hacked to death when he was on the cross and he was bleeding, but what happened? New life, resurrection, glory, new opportunity. It's the great paradox of the Bible that when God prunes you and attacks you, not as someone who wants to hurt you, but as the vine dresser, he will birth something in you that is a new life, a strong life, a resilient life. That's how you become a chair for And so friends, we just asked this simple question as we started this series. Remember all the way back in Chair Wonder, come and see, (laughs) come and follow, follow me, I'll make you fishes of people, now go and bear fruit. We said, look, if we want to change the, the city of Sydney, is it an ingredients issue or is it a methods issue? What if, what if as a church, if we took all the right ingredients that he's given us, the word of God, the spirit of God, the community of God... And we just employed his methods. Maybe then, maybe we could change the world the way that he did. And so my simple question for you this morning as we finish up this series is, uh, which chair do you sit in? And what is the next step that you need to take? I mean, there are some people here, there's always people here, I love it now, that are just checking out Christianity. What have you got to do to work out who this Jesus Christ guy is? Some people are spiritual babies. You've just become a Christian. Well, who, who have you got to get around? What have you got to do in order to grow up? Some of you have been sitting in chair too for years and it's time to make a move. Friends, what is Tuesday night about? And this call from John North that, that all who are willing are invited to in this process is to say it's this and we must remember you will never become a chair four person by listening to a sermon series. Only until we learn to walk as Jesus walked will we become the sort of people that bear fruit and only until we step into a way of learning how to do that will we become people that bear fruit. What is it that you need to do in order to take this next step? I'll leave you with a final 30-second story. I had a devotional. It was from my uncle. In the front of it was a little story it was about great-grandpa John. Uh, great-grandpa John, he was—I didn't realize every second grandfather of mine. I realized studying my family trees, a Baptist minister. Go figure. Great-grandpa John had a ministry in the Clipston Baptist Chapel, and he's just out the Hicktown in England somewhere, just a little country church there. There he ministered to a guy called John and Eliza. John was so impacted by his ministry, he said, "I'm going to call my son after you. I'm going to call my son Haddon." And great-great-grandpa John said, you can't do that, I can't call a kid Haddon, that's a ridiculous name. <laughs> um, so, he said, I, so he didn't. He called him another name, he called him Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And for any of you who know that name in Baptist circles, he's also known as the Prince of Preachers. And it was great-great-grandpa John that went and took the one seed that Jesus Christ had planted in his life. And he planted it into a guy's life called John. John and Eliza grew up and knew all they could do is to sow into their kids throughout their life in only hope that they would follow Jesus. And at one point, this young guy called Charles Haddon Spurgeon would give his life to Christ and he would become one of the greatest preachers that the world has ever seen. We'd preach up to 10,000 people in the tabernacle in London. The point is, you might think your life is insignificant or you're not going to be some big preacher or that the whole process is a bit hard. You've been given a seed. A seed that travelled from Jerusalem and across to Rome and to England and across here, you've been given a seed just like great-grandpa John to just invest in one life. What happens after that? That's up to him. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.